The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
pray and seek your face and turn from my wicked ways and you will heal Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. You have one last chance to be saved from the city of destruction. I pray you'll take it. John Bunyan wrote, As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I came to a certain place where there was a cave. I lay down in that place to sleep, and as I slept, I dreamed a dream. And in this dream, I saw a man clothed in rags, standing in a place with his face turned away from his own house. And he had a book in his hand and a heavy burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and begin to read. And as he read, he wept and trembled. Not being able to contain himself, he cried out in a loud voice, What shall I do? In this condition, he went home and tried to keep to himself for as long as he could so that his wife and children would not see him in such distress. But after a short time, his anguish had increased so much that he could not remain silent. So he began to share with his wife and his children what was on his troubled mind. And this is what he told them. Dear wife, children, I am greatly troubled by this burden that torments me and grows and weighs so heavily upon me. Moreover, I have received information that the city in which we live will be burned with fire from heaven. When this happens, all of us will be destroyed unless, by a way I do not as yet see, some way of escape can be found so that we may be delivered. Hearing this, his family was greatly amazed not because they believed what he said was true, but because they thought he was losing his mind. So as the evening approached, hoping that sleep might settle his mind, they quickly put him to bed. But the night was as troublesome to him as the day. Instead of sleeping, he spent the night in sighs and tears, So when morning came, his family came to find out how he was doing. Worse and worse, he told them. He started speaking to them again about his fears and concerns, but they turned cold toward him. They tried to change his outlook by treating him rudely. Sometimes they would deride, sometimes they would chide, other times they just ignored him. So he began retiring to his private room to pray for them, and to pity them, and to try to find some consolation for his own misery. He would often walk alone in the field, sometimes reading, sometimes praying, and for a long time this is how he spent his days. Then one day I saw the man walking in the fields, 
reading in his book and greatly distressed in his mind. As he read, he burst out, as he had done before, crying, What shall I do to be saved? He looked this way and that way, as if he would run, yet he he stood still because he could not decide which way to go. And just then I looked and I saw someone named Evangelist coming toward him. Evangelist came up to the man and asked, Why are you crying out? Sir, I understand from reading the book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that to come to judgment. I'm not willing to do the first nor able to do the second. Well, why are you not willing to die since the life is attended with so many evils? Well, because I'm afraid that this burden that is on my back will sink me lower than the grave and I shall fall into hell. And, sir, continued the man, if if I'm not ready to die, then I'm not prepared to go to judgment and from there to execution. Thinking upon these things distresses me greatly. Well, if this is your condition, why are you standing still? Because I don't know where to go. Evangelist gave him a parchment and unrolled it so that the man could read. Flee from the wrath to come. When he had read it, the man looked at Evangelist very carefully and he said, Which way should I run? The Evangelist, pointing with a finger to a very wide field, asked, Do you see that distant narrow gate? No. Well, do you see that distant shining light? I think I do. Keep that light in your eye and go up directly toward it, and soon you will see a narrow gate. And when you finally get to the gate, knock, and you will be told what to do. So I saw in my dream, the man began to run. That's Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, edited by C.J. Levick. What if the man who was so burdened with his sin, had been told by the evangelist a false hope. What if he'd been told what it says in Romans, the 10th chapter? Let me read it for you. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What if the evangelist had told him that? What if the evangelist had just read the 10th chapter of Romans to him? And what if the man then had been comforted and given hope in the midst of his sin. 
and he had gone home, and he had told his wife and his children, I have found deliverance. I have called on the name of the Lord. I have called upon the name of the Lord. I have confessed him with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe that in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and I'm saved. What if he had been told that? And in this false hope, he had continued to live in the city of destruction, but now he no longer noticed the burden on his back. It was, it was a part of him. And he was told by others, don't worry about it. We all have this burden on our back, and, and it can't be changed. We're always going to be sinners, but we're saved. Don't lose hope in God. Don't lose hope in Jesus You've confessed him with your mouth. You've believed that Jesus rose from the dead. You're saved. You can't be lost. You're in eternally. What if you believe that? And he had lost his last chance to flee the city of destruction. And when the fire came, he would have been consumed in the flames and cast into hell. You see, Paul didn't write Romans, the 10th chapter. He wrote the whole book, the whole letter to the church at Rome. And you can't take out a comforting passage and say, this is the truth, because as it stands by itself, it is not the truth. So if we read that passage, as I've heard many, many people do, and claim that now because they have called upon the name of Jesus, they are saved. Because they confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they're saved. But they still continue to live in the city of destruction. You have one last chance to leave the city of destruction. We are at the end of time. The judgments of God are being poured out upon America even as we talk now. It's not accidental that the fires are burning in a very wicked state, California, Oregon. Oregon is one of the most wicked states in the United States of America. Fewer people there confess Jesus as Lord than any other place in the United States. It is a hardened-hearted people. Washington State is the same thing. Washington, Oregon, California have all utterly rejected as a people the name of Jesus. Now, there are a few Christians living there who are earnest. I know some of them. But the judgments of God are falling upon them. And the judgments of God are falling upon the church. We've been vomited out of the mouth of Jesus. Go back and listen to the broadcast. Three reasons why we've been vomited out of the mouth of Jesus. The church. And now it comes to us as individuals. We have one last chance to escape the city of destruction. Now it would be much more comfortable, and you'd be much more excited probably if I did a study on the book of Daniel and Revelation and spoke about the end times and, 
and spoke to you as though, oh, I know all of you are saved and we're on our way to heaven and Jesus is coming and just trust, have hope in Jesus, don't worry about it, we're on our way. I can't do that because I know that's not true. I don't come here to please you in your flesh. I come here to awaken you. And countless numbers of Christians have read the 10th chapter of Romans, and they have believed that what it says is true as it stands by itself. And as it stands by itself, it's utterly taken out of context, and it's not true. If you believe you can continue to walk in your sin and that you're saved, based on Romans 10, you have been lied to. Now, in Romans, the sixth chapter, verse 23, I'm sure this is one of the scriptures that this man was reading that caused him such heartburn. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. So any salvation that I'm going to talk to you about must have a very clear means of helping you, of giving you the power and the strength and the ability to totally leave your life of sin. Jesus told a parable. I want to share that parable with you. It's found in Luke, the 13th chapter. I want to share with you the context of this parable because that is as important as is the parable. 13th chapter. Now certain ones were present at the same time, telling him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices. And having answered, Jesus said to them, Are you thinking that the Galileans were sinning above all the other Galileans because they have suffered in such a way? I tell you, by no means. But if you may not repent, you will all likewise self-destruct. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, are you thinking that these men became debtors above all men dwelling in Jerusalem? I tell you, by no means. But if you may not repent, you will all likewise self-destruct. Now, it's in this context that Jesus now begins to tell them this parable, this terrifying parable. He said there was a man who had a fig tree having been planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit from it and found none. I want you to be clear as I share this parable. He's speaking now about men and women, boys and girls, 
who become a part of the Christian faith. He's talking about people who call themselves Christians. That is the long-term meaning of this parable. He said to the gardener, Look, three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down, for why even the soil does it use up? In other words, it's, it's just taking up the nutrients of the soil. It has lots of foliage, but it has no fruit of righteousness. It has no fruit of holiness. Cut it down. But having answered, that is, the man who works in the garden, the gardener, he said to him, Sir, leave it alone also this year until I may dig around it and may scatter dung or may fertilize it. And if indeed it may produce fruit, fine. But if not, you will cut it down. So we can be in the church. We can call ourselves Christians. But if we do not bear fruit for righteousness, for holiness, if we're still walking in our sin, we have a short time before the Lord God of heaven will say, that person's not serious. Remove them from my house. Cut them down. They're just taking up the soil and the nutrients of my church. Remove them. And the gardener says, oh, wait, let's, let me dig around it. Let me fertilize it. Let's see if indeed it can produce fruit. And I'm telling you this afternoon, the Lord is digging around your life and he is fertilizing your life. He's giving you these messages on Pilgrim's Progress. He's giving you other messages. Some of them are false messages, giving you a false hope of salvation. But there are a few, admittedly very few, who speak a very straight, honest, unvarnished word of truth that tell you you must leave your sin. You see, to repent means to turn with sorrow from my sin and to stop walking in it, to leave it, to be finished with it, to no longer walk in the wickedness of my heart under the false pretense that I'm saved. It is not enough to trust in Jesus for your salvation. I know that sounds like heresy, and it is to the modern church. But many and most who trust in Jesus for their salvation will be cast into the fires of hell because they never left their sin. They heard a false message 
out of Romans, the 10th chapter, and they utterly failed to read Romans, the 6th chapter. They didn't read Romans 6. Let me read this for you. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? How is it possible for a man or woman who says, I am a servant of the Most High God, to go and offer the members of their body to the world? to darkness, to uncleanness. How is that possible? How can you say, I'm a Christian and vote for the Democratic Party where everything unclean is lifted up, where the murder of babies is approved, How can you call yourself a Christian and believe in transhumanism? How can you believe that you're a Christian and reject the righteousness of God that calls you to leave your sin? Listen. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We're therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Do you live a new life? Or are you the same as you were before you were baptized except you maybe made a few improvements? Maybe you stopped drinking or smoking but you're still bitter and angry. You're still depressed. You're still fornicating, still going to the pornography. You're still lying, cheating, stealing. You're still involved in businesses that you know you should not be involved in. What stands between you and Jesus? Be honest with me. Is it pride, ambition, jealousy, envy, the love of money, the desire for power and recognition? What stands between you and Jesus? Are you trusting in Romans 10 and then following the way of the city of destruction? If you've been united with him like this in his death, we certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And yet you want to watch the NFL? 
You want to feast on all of the wickedness of our professional sports? You want to feast on NASCAR? You want to feast on things of wickedness? And call yourself a Christian? You have one last chance to escape. We are coming to an absolute crashing of America. What are you going to do? Now, we died with Christ. We believe that we will also live with him. You notice, if you do not die with Christ, you have no hope that you can live again. So if you have bought the lie of a teacher who said that Romans 10 was the full expression of gospel salvation, it was the Romans road that you must pursue if you are going to be saved, understand he's lying to you. You have not correctly understood the context of Romans 10. Romans 10 is absolutely true. But it's only true in the context of Romans 6, 7, and 8. It's only true in the context of Romans 6, 7, and 8. 5, 6, 7, and 8. All of the rest of the book of of Romans, the letter to the Roman church, you must read the whole letter. So if you're comforted in your sin, your situation is hopeless. And the Lord has shared with me his grave concern for the church in America as he showed me the church saying, I trust Jesus. My hope is in Jesus. But turning aside from the death and the crucifixion with Jesus. You can say you trust Jesus And you can actually say and believe, I trust Jesus for my salvation. I'm ready to go for heaven. But if in that trusting of Jesus, you have not been crucified with Christ, you are having a false hope. Now, the desperate danger of what's happening in America is that American Christians have a false hope because of Romans 10 and saying, I trust in Jesus for my salvation. I am saved. I trust him. It's like the woman I confronted with this issue and she became livid and screamed at me. I'm saved. I'm a mature Christian. Don't ask me to even consider the question of whether I'm saved or not. Well, obviously, her response demonstrated she was an immature Christian and she was not saved. She was hellbound. See, we're in trouble. The American church is in trouble. The judgment of God has come upon us. And we think we can do our own thing and have our own way. We think we're still in charge of our lives and our family because there's a part of the crucifixion that has never happened 
and our pride is, is huge. It's a huge pack on our back. There's no humbling of our hearts before Almighty God and before each other. Verse 14, for sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, you're under grace. But don't get comfort from that. Read the next verse. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to somebody to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. There's another passage. Let me see if I can find it quickly. It's over here in the book of, of Luke. This is a vital This is a vital passage for you to understand. Here it is. Luke 13 verse 23. Then a certain man asked him, "Lord, if the ones being saved are few? In other words, Lord, are there only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, you must be straining every nerve to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. They will think they entered, but they've been deceived. They think they've entered because they said, I trust in Jesus for my salvation. I love Jesus. But they produce no fruit of righteousness. And finally, the Lord says, don't let them take up the soil anymore. Cut them down. Read more on that in John, the 15th chapter, the first verses, where the Father prunes those branches that bear no fruit. These are branches that are into Jesus, and the sap is flowing through them and giving them leaves, but they bear no fruit. Why? Because they're walking in known sin or unknown sin, because they have refused to acknowledge the truth of Jesus. They're filled with the darkness of our culture. They're blind and naked and miserable and don't even know it. Verse 25, this is Luke 13, 25. From the time the master of the house may be roused up and may shut the door and you may begin to stand outside knocking at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And having answered, he will say to you, I do not recognize you or where you're from. Then you'll say, we ate and drank in your presence. 
You taught in our streets, but he will say, I tell you, I don't recognize you. Where are you from? You must depart from me, all workers of unrighteousness. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you may see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you being cast outside. And they will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and recline in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are the last who will be first, and there are the first who will be last. Now there's another passage. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one killing the prophets and stoning the ones having been sent to her, how many times I will to gather you, your children, as a hen gathers her own brood under her wings, but you have, you have willed not. Your house is being left to you desolate. You have one last chance to open your eyes and see the true condition of your heart. How pride has blinded you. How arrogance has fed you into a false belief. You have one last chance to recognize that if you're going to follow Jesus... You're going to have to acknowledge him as your only Lord and only master. And you're going to have to be crucified with him. You're going to have to die and be born again in the heavenly realm. This is a supernatural work of God that comes as we lay our lives down. And I hear some people say, oh, I am so in love with Jesus and I, I am given totally to him and he is my Lord and he is my Savior. And then the next moment, they're angry, demanding, unkind, impatient. And I'm saying, Lord, I thought they just said they were utterly given over to you, but you would not act that way. For you were gentle and kind, loving, merciful, long-suffering. You had the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. What fruit do you have in your life? You say, I've done everything I know to do then you have missed one thing. The one thing most vital. Lay aside all self-improvement. Lay aside all false hopes. And come and recognize that Jesus is your only hope. And he will strike down your pride and your arrogance. He will fill your heart with compassion with mercy. He will make you not self-serving, not pushing yourself forward to demand what you want the way you want it. 
I met a, a Christian woman who desperately needed help. And so I helped. I gave her what she needed to buy food. But in my spirit, I said, why is this woman so rude? Why is this woman so rude? Undercutting a friend. Self-serving. And all I've been able to do is weep for her and pray for God to have mercy upon her. Jesus will give you blessings. He will fertilize around your life. He will dig up the loose, the heavy, dark soil around you so that it's loose, so the moisture can penetrate. But in the end, you must decide to leave your sin. And you have one last chance to do that before the end. The city of destruction is going to burn. L.A., Miami, New York, Washington. They're going to burn. There's only one way out. And that's to take the same path that Pilgrim took in Pilgrim's Progress and make your way as quickly as possible to the celestial city. And you do that by walking honestly with Jesus and allowing him to strip off the old man, to crucify it, to make you into a new creature. to turn your heart toward heaven and away from self, away from all of the things that you want in your selfish heart. Now, listen again. This is Luke. These are the words of Jesus. Please, don't take Romans 10 by itself. And deny the words of Jesus. Every apostle's writing has to be viewed through the lens of the four gospels. We interpret the apostles' writings through the words of the gospels, not the other way around. Now large multitudes were going along with him. And having turned, he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not have single-minded loyalty to me over his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sister, yet even his own life, he is not able to be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me is not able to be my disciple. You can say, I trust in Jesus. 
I'm saved. That doesn't mean you're saved. Your saying so doesn't make you saved. It's when Jesus says that you're saved that you know you're saved. You must be crucified. You must take up your cross. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Am I saved by grace? Yes. Am I saved by faith? Yes. Am I saved by works? No. I'm saved by grace. But the grace of God teaches me, according to Titus, to say no to ungodliness. And the Holy Spirit comes into my life and into my heart, and it gives me the strength. Romans 6, we'll deal with this again tomorrow. Romans 6 tells us that he gives us the strength to say no to sin because we are born from on high. Now who from among you, verse 28, this is Luke 14, 28. Now who from among you desiring to build a tower does not first, after having sat down, count the cost if he has the things for the completion? Lest after having laid his foundation and not being able to finish, all the ones observing might begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to engage in war with another king, does not first, after having sat down, consider if he is able with ten thousand to meet the one coming against him with twenty thousand? But if not, being as yet far away, having sent his emissaries, he will ask for terms of peace. So then each one from among you who does not say farewell to all of his own possessions, is not able to be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt may become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is neither fit for land nor for the rubbish heap. They throw it out. The ones having ears to hear, he must hear. Do you hear today? You have one last chance. And if you say to yourself, I have God's grace, I'm covered, Romans 10 says so, all you did was hide the burden of sin on your back and make so that you could not see it. You must be crucified with Christ. You must be born from above. And in that process, you will be made righteous. You will be made holy as a free gift. It's not by works. But you have to turn solely and completely to Jesus and utterly renounce your own life and make Jesus Christ the master of your soul. This book of, of Romans. I want to read for you again. Romans, the sixth chapter. Verse 11. So also you must think yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but living for God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Have you thought yourself dead to sin? Not for some false hope, but because in reality, you are dead to sin. You have been transformed. You've been made into a new creature in Christ Jesus. You still have a chance. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, tells us that there is yet a day, a Sabbath day's rest for the people of God. And we are urged to enter into that rest from our own works, from our sin, and enter into the creation of God. For he made you to walk in holiness and righteousness. And so many of you, I'm terrified for. Because you are comfortable living in the city of destruction. And you live under the false illusion that you're fine. Because you trust Jesus. Well, that fig tree spoken of trusted Jesus. And he said, but it bears no fruit, so cut it down. You have to bear fruit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of God in your life. It's not some silly self-improvement deal. It's not some strategy for making money or success. It's turning everything over to Jesus and walking faithfully. Walking faithfully with him. You have one last chance. To leave the city of destruction. And to begin an honest journey in the school of the Holy Spirit to leave behind the ways, the filthy ways of the flesh, the world and the devil. Will you take it? Almighty God, I pray that you will break the deception that has blinded the eyes of so many in America to in their pride think that they can say, I trust in Jesus, and that means they're saved. But there's no evidence of your holiness in their life. There's only evidence of wickedness and pride and anger. Oh, Lord, please come. Please come. Holy Spirit, come. Revive us once again. Save us, almighty God. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm glad you've tuned in. Tomorrow we're going to go further in the study of Romans, the sixth chapter. I know it's not easy, but we need to hear it plainly. We need to hear the contextual meaning of the verses in Romans. Come again tomorrow and share and tell a friend. 
Write to me, please, at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or go online. If you love this broadcast and you stand with me that this broadcast needs to go out over our whole Washington metro area, then stand with me financially also. Thank you for the two of you who did that this morning. You can give by going to nationalprayerchapel.com and going to the upper right-hand corner, the donate button. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'll talk to you soon.